Good afternoon, and welcome to Free to be Faithful. I'm moderator Kip Allen. Free to be Faithful is a religious liberty education and awareness program created by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in response to increasing governmental incursions into religious life. Our institutions have come under increasing attack in recent years from various secular forces, and the LCMS is responding to these challenges in a number of different ways. One such effort is the establishment of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty, based in Washington, D.C. The center functions as a source of information and guidance for political leadership and opinion makers. Today's guest, the Reverend Dr. Gregory Seltz, Executive Director of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty. Dr. Seltz, welcome to the program. Oh, it's great to be here, Kip. Thank you so much. Well, this this uh, program that has been set up, the uh, the Center for Religious Liberty, this is a mm-hmm. wonderful idea. Uh, so much decision making is coming out of Washington, not just uh, not just politically, but in terms of the opinion and and how people think. Right. And one of the problems we have had in the past is they haven't been getting the input from people of faith or the LCMS. This is what you're doing, right? Yeah, we're a front door of the church in D.C., first of all, too. I mean, that's also an excellent point, and that is that they sometimes just need to know how do we think about these things. And if we're not there in those meetings, um, they don't know. And so, yeah, that's one of my first priorities is to be on the Hill as a, a voice and advocate of our church and how we think through these things. And you'd be surprised how much they want to hear what we have to say. Well, that was uh, going to be my follow-up question. Are we proactive or reactive? Looks like we're both here. Well, it's we're, a little bit of both. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I'm not going to, it's still tough work and there's still some folks who say we don't need to listen, that kind of thing. But what I'm finding out is when we get involved in these partnerships, these meetings, we're actually a voice that's unique as a two kingdom voice. And they're going, wow, we'd like to hear more about that. So I would say right now that our welcome on the Hill, especially with those who have the same kind of worldview generally, it has been outstanding. It, it, they've been saying, you know, how, um, why did it take you guys so long? Yeah. <laughs> Well, you just brought up an interesting point: the two kingdom concept, right. which, of course, we uh, we Lutherans have been following really from the from the establishment of our faith. Right. A lot of people don't understand this. Correct. And, and I would say even a lot of Lutherans don't understand. Uh, yeah. It. But what, as simply as can be said, God is at work in the world to bless, but He works two different ways. I mean, that's that's kind of the key to this: that the way He works through Christ and the Church is different than the way he works to keep the world preserved and intact and humane. That's what we call left-hand kingdom work. So he's working through the vocations of people, you know, whether it's the entrepreneur, the mom, the dad, uh, the artist, the teacher, the mayor, the politician. Those are all vocations that God has established in the world. And they those people are not all Christian. So God is keeping his world humane and civil, even through broken, sinful people who don't happen to believe in him. And that's that unique thing. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, because God is at work even through Caesar, and give to God what is God's, because God is ultimately saving the world through Christ, differentiating those two things. Well, one uh, one criticism I have received in several of my programs is when we do discuss the involvement of the left-hand kingdom is, well, you should just be preaching the gospel. Right. You shouldn't be involved in, in, in secular matters. Well, again, uh, let's just keep it simple. God is at work. So if God is at work, we need to be a part of what God is doing. So it's not a matter of whether we wish to be a part of it or not be a part of it. God just says, undergird the left-hand kingdom because I'm at work there. So our job is to pray for our authorities, pray for those in authority. Our work is to undergird, to vote, to be uh, connected to the issues. We know it's not going to save us. 
But if we abdicate that role, if we say that somehow it's not our responsibility to be at work with God in the left-hand kingdom, um, the place can get a whole lot worse. And when all hell breaks loose, it's hard to preach the gospel. So again, we're given a two-kingdom kind of mandate to undergird what's in the left-hand kingdom so we can preach about the good news of Jesus Christ in the public sphere, too. And the LCMS, I think, is really taking a very strong proactive uh, role in this. For example, uh, there have been a number of court cases that have been coming up before the Supreme Court in recent right. years. And the LCMS has been filing amicus briefs. Well, and we've been the center of some of those cases as well. I mean, oh, yeah, you know, the, whether it's Hosanna Tabor yeah. or Trinity, I mean, it's amazing. In fact, I even in my own research for my PhD back in the day, um, I found out that there was a court case about, uh, you know, the use of your indigenous language in worship, and that was a Lutheran church. It was Nebraska took the Lutheran church, Missouri City, to court. It <laughs> went all the way to the Supreme one. Court in the, this <laughs> in the 30s. And so, you know, we've always been w- w- these people who understand that we should be good citizens, but the higher purpose is for the sake of preaching the gospel. We've always understood the tension of that, and that's what makes us unique. And we are citizens of both kingdoms. Correct. That's my point. God is at work. So if God is at work, our job is to say, how can I be faithful to God in this, and how can I be faithful to God in that? Well, for example, I had a, um, a discussion with a, uh, a relative of mine who's very much uh, pro-abortion. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, well, if you, me, if you believe that abortion is murder, right. which I do, right. why don't I take active measures to stop abortion in an abortion clinic, and the response being because it's legal, right? And it's you know it's kind of the same situation when we talked about rebelling even against, uh, say, a Hitler back in in, in World War II. Um, we we would speak out against him. We would take all the punishment of speaking out against him. We would say God is going to bring you to your knees with justice, but we are not the ones who are going to fire the gun as pastors. I mean, it's that kind of thing mm-hmm. where we don't mix the kingdoms. Um, but she's right. Uh, there is a sense where if we we uh, mute our voice on abortion, um, God is not pleased. And so again, it's that it's that tension of saying. Whatever God is doing through this right now, uh, we're prayerfully doing his will by speaking what is true and suffering those consequences and hoping someday we can be a a culture that honors life again. And there's certainly nothing wrong. And in fact, I think it's mandated for us to work within the system to try to outlaw this this horrible injustice. Well, and see what people don't understand is when you destroy the system, you know, the people that wanted to... See, again, when you start talking about two kingdoms and God's at work, that means you should have a restraint about what you think think you're doing because God may be doing something through even these machinations that you don't fully understand. Well, whenever sinful human beings destroy the whole system, they always build a worse one. And that's what we see in history. So again, that would be my answer. Like you said, we're working through the system as corrupt as it may seem to be uh, to do God's will in the left-hand kingdom, to preach the gospel so that everybody can hear it. That's the point. And this is what we're doing with the Lutheran Center for Religious uh, Liberty. Yeah. Specifically, do you have some issues that are uh, that the center is working on now, or where you have been approached by various opinion makers or leaders? Well, we have, but let me just say, finishing that uh, sure. that question about the abortion question, one of the reasons why we limit our involvement in political issues to liberty, life, and marriage, and even marriage is a liberty issue. It's we're not even getting in the discussion of the state and defining marriage. We're saying just 
get out of the business of defining marriage, you know, for us. But again, it's one of the reasons why is because we understand that God is at work and it's these fundamental issues where we finally have to rise up and say, we just can't say we have to get involved there because our culture's at stake. But uh, the rest of the issues, the the rest of the policy issues, Christians can be on both sides of a lot of issues and, and we understand that. So again, even to her concern about, you know, you, you Christians, why are you getting too political? Uh, we generally aren't getting too political, we, but we're when it comes to fundamental issues of life and liberty, those are things we have to fight for for the sake of everybody. Well, you mentioned, uh, for example, gay marriage. Um, yeah. I have a number of, uh, of uh, gay acquaintances and even friends. Right. And uh, what I tell them is, you know, the state says you are married. My church doesn't recognize it, but that doesn't affect you. Right. Well, so, it's, it's also, but, but here's the problem with the whole discussion of the state says you're married. What role, when did the state ever become the arbiter of what marriage is? I mean, that's been the problem. And so, again, when we talk about left-hand, right-hand kingdom, one of the ways I've tried to tell my uh, folks is we have to learn how to argue left-hand kingdom language. We sometimes bring too much of the, you know, we bring the scripture into this, and like you just said, they don't agree with us. They don't agree with the scripture. So how would we argue the gay marriage issue? Say, well, the state recognizes your, your union. We don't call it a marriage. Well, here's the thing. What's the states? States don't recognize anything. See, that's the problem. We've already let this idea of the state granting rights to people. Uh, we live in a culture that the state doesn't grant rights. No. We, these are, we have inalienable rights before the government, and all the government can do is take away rights. So the question really is, why would the government take away rights from a man and a woman? Why would they do that? Because that's what the contract of marriage means to the state. Well, the reason why they do that is because you could go to sleep tonight as a man and a woman, wake up with a child. They don't want to raise your kid. It's the only reason the state cares about that particular relationship. It shouldn't care about any other relationship because the state is not in the business of defining relationships. It's not in the business of granting liberties. That's a misunderstanding of the state's role. So if I was talking to folks who are homosexual, I'd say, you don't want the state defining marriage either. (laughs) You know, so so in that sense, because they could, the state could suddenly turn on all of us in a lot of ways too. So again, it's teaching people what the role of the state is, what the role of, of these kinds of things are in our in our life, and talking about the religious liberty that we all should have to be ourselves in service to each other. So uh, we got to do a better job of that. And that's part of what. Hopefully we're doing at the center. Yeah, we call those the mom and pop papers, by the way. We try to explain this stuff on a one and two page paper, not a 600 page book. (laughs) Could revolutionize government. I I don't, yeah, well, you just saw that budget that was passed, what is it, 2,000 pages? Yeah. I don't know. How do you deal with all that? <laughs> well, fortunately, that's your job. You're right. <laughs> right. Uh, well, we're on. That was actually a very bad day for us because a lot of things that we've been fighting for uh, oh, took yeah. it on the chin in this latest uh, spending bill. Yeah, well, bill. Planned Parenthood is still funded, and uh, the you know, in the liberty issues are uh, th- there's language in there that was was not real helpful for the pro life movement and things like that too. So, you know, we're we're looking at these things, but all we can continue to do is continue to make this voice known. Because again, even for those who disagree with us on this, we cherish your life. We cherish your liberty too. This is not just about protecting our space, but it is saying we have a right to that space in the public realm for the sake of others. So, 
So where are we going from here with the center? Well, again, right now we got uh, the partnerships. We're building partnerships on the Hill. I, I just I just met with what's called the ERLC, which is the Ethics and Religious uh, Liberty Folks of the Southern Baptists, uh, the National Right to Life, the March for Life, uh, the Council of Bishops. You know, we've got partnerships with the Heritage Foundation, folks like that, that are very exciting going forward. And that means we're in on the meetings as things are being discussed rather than, you know, second or third hand uh, down the road from these kinds of things. The other thing is the Alliance uh, Defending Freedom kind of folks, the ADF, we are starting to become kind of a liaison to them where we're starting to see where they're going with some of these lawsuits to protect our liberties. And and again, we want to work with them and, and make our people aware of what's coming before it hits us. So maybe we can be prepared for these things. And, you know, we've talked about some of these lawsuits that are coming. Again, the whole abortion mandate through health insurance is coming back. It's coming back because some states are actually mandating, Washington, I think, is the latest one, mandating that if you provide pregnancy uh, uh, insurance, you have to provide abortion insurance. And and again, why that's somehow equivalent to them, uh, who knows, but that's going to be something that comes back and starts to hit the church, and they're going to start to say, if you don't use Concordia Health Plans, um, you've got to provide this, again, even against your own conscience. And then the NIFLA case out in, in, in California where uh, the abortion clinics, I mean the pro-life clinics, are being forced to actually promote the abortion clinics, yeah. but it's not happening vice versa. You know, it's not happening where the abortion clinics have to promote the pro-life clinics. So you start to get into these kind of cases where you're saying, wow, we've got to push back on that. Our, our voice will actually be kicked out of the public square. Yeah. I think that's the key for this. So the partnerships, um, you know, being an office already in D.C., we, we're at 3rd in Massachusetts, we're right in the mix, and then also being a part of these things at the discussion phase is very exciting. Well, I'm, I'm impressed that we are working with other denominations on this. You know, yeah. it, it, it's not ecumenism, but there are... Well, it's left-hand kingdom stuff, so yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah. it's it's that Christian worldview, and we all share that same basic worldview. Oh, yeah. View. Now, we have doctrinal differences with the Catholics or the Baptists, but we right. all agree, for example, on abortion. Right. And the thing about it is that's where our two kingdoms really does help us, because in the left-hand kingdom, you can have people on your um, in your committee, if you will, some who may not even be Christian who actually are pro-life. You know, so so in that sense, we're we're not advocating our preaching of the gospel. We're advocating the the civil civilizing of our community, uh, keeping our community publicly humane. Well, we can have these discussions across the fence with anybody, and I think what's exciting is to find that there are a lot of people who go, "We're with you," and we didn't know they were with us. And that kind of that's exciting because you you don't know that until you start talking. You just don't know that until you start knocking on people's doors. And this is part of it. As I mentioned, you know, a lot of what you're doing is proactive. You're going out literally knocking on the doors, right. saying, hey, this is us. This is what we believe. How can we help? And I, it's amazing. I've actually spoke last week. I was in uh, three other congressmen's offices just knocking on the door, just saying who we were. What exciting conversations happened in those moments? I didn't know what to expect. You know, I'm knocking on the door saying this is who we are. And once I got into it, I, I began to realize these are just people, too, who want their communities to be safe and humane. And they, and they were elected to do that. So we come in there and say, well, how can we help you? 
And then how can we also make our voice known? Because we do believe that the value of life and value of liberty actually makes our culture more humane and civil. So how can we help you in that regard? So it's it's very exciting. It is, especially when you receive a, a good welcome from, from these people. Well, and now i got to be honest, it's not every, I haven't necessarily <laughs> gone to the folks who, who wouldn't welcome us. <laughs> but again, one of the roles of being a, a, a two-kingdom person is to try to explain that in some of these left-hand kingdom issues, uh, even those who are our enemies sometimes, if we explain our position, they might go, wow, I didn't realize that's what you were advocating. So there's a sense where they're surprised sometimes, too, that, that our position, we are trying to address the issues they think are important, too. We just have a different answer, obviously. Um, but sometimes even discussing that and dialoguing, there's an opportunity for us to say, um, you know, I mean, obviously in abortion and things like that, we it's one of those we we have to take our stand here. But in a lot of other issues where we're trying to actually bless communities and, and, and bring resourcing back into communities uh, through our education system, for instance, there's a lot of people out there who may not even be Christian who go, maybe we'd like to talk more to you about that stuff. So again, knocking on those doors is a, an important way to start to see where we stand with a lot of folks. Well, uh, in the school issue, for example, bullying. Yeah, you know, we know this is wrong, flat out, and we have some some concrete ideas on how it can be avoided. Right. Well, and that's what I'm saying. There's some fundamental issues about you know uh, discipline in school, these kinds of things. We may have different uh, vantage points on these kinds of things than other folks. But when we start to actually say, but we're here for the same reason. We want those kids to be well-educated. We want those schools to be successful because educated folks make better citizens. And usually uh, th- that means a more humane and civil community. Well, we all want that. Um, so again, these are the kind of issues. And even the marriage issue is not just about gay marriage and marriage. It's about s- the, what's going on in the cities where where marriages are being impl- are imploding and children are running the streets. They don't have any parental oversight because moms are working 24-7 and dads aren't around well that is a that's a safety issue that's a civility humanity issue and we can be a part of that discussion as i think we should so that's all left-hand kingdom stuff rebuilding marriages left-hand kingdom stuff but ultimately so we can tell them about jesus and it's amazing how many people reject that argument oh you don't need two parents to raise uh, successful kids well the sociology the psychology and the history actually say that's absolutely correct i mean if you don't have two parents um it, it, but what's sad to me is that we've kind of let this discussion go as if we, we're not supposed to engage it. Um, my point is, is when you look at the cities and you look at what's going on in our culture, uh, if we don't engage that, then we should not be surprised at the violence that ensues because there's you know, that was all something that the families actually bred into their children, that civility, that humanity, that honor. Mm-hmm. Well, that's got to come back, and no government program can do what a family can do. Well, for example... I'm of the age, and maybe perhaps you are too, where I remember if I misbehaved in school, what the school did to me was nothing compared, compared to what, what my parents that's were going right. to do. And, and that idea of, of the fatherly role, you know, that's how, that, you know, we talk, we're getting off a little bit here, but this is kind of fun. You know, we talk about what moms do for their, we, we honor it on Mother's Day, but what is the unique love of a father, and why does a father's love and a mother's love need to be part of the raising of a child? Well, a lot of that goes to some of the issues of violence in the culture today. The, the thing that, that, if I had to deal with my dad when I came back home, that was something that was, was 
was even more frightening. But there was a point where I began to realize that's what it means to be a man. And then mm. even what it means to be a woman because of my relationship to uh, my father. You know, those kinds of things are part of the solutions uh, to some of the issues we're seeing today. But we're almost... I don't hear people talking about those things. So, again, even that is a left-hand kingdom discussion that we bring to the table uh, in, in Washington, D.C. Well, as the name of the program implies, and this is a free-to-be-faithful issue. These are right. It's a freedom that we have, and if we don't exercise it, if we don't go out and, and engage, we're, we're in danger of losing this. And, and frankly, I think it's it's against God if we don't engage. Well, you know, and again, when you say, what are we doing this for? We're set free to live freely. That's our moniker uh, at the LCRL. Or another one I like to use is called put, putting your temporal liberties to work, because America's given you some unique temporal liberties as opposed to other cultures. Put those temporal liberties to work for the sake of the preaching of the eternal liberties of Christ. If you don't do that, there's a sense where that's one of the ways that we demonstrate to our neighbor that we really care about them. Now, that's still not preaching the gospel. That's still, you know, there's still that element of, of, of sharing who Jesus is uniquely. But if, if they say, well, you didn't care about these issues, you didn't care about those issues, they actually are saying, well, then why should I care about your Christ? And so it is one of the ways that we can get involved in our communities for the sake of the community and make our voice known so that people can say, well, why did you do that? And we can say, well, it's not just to you know, get involved in politics. It was to be able to tell you that Jesus is your Savior. Well, one thing that we, I don't think, do very well here in the Senate my opinion here, so maybe I'm wrong, mm-hmm. uh, is I don't think that we toot our horn enough about the good that we do. Uh, I can look, for example, at the uh, disaster relief yeah. that, that the Missouri Senate does. And uh, $9 million bucks we raised to help for, for hurricane people. Yeah. And we're still working down there long after the storms. Heck, we still had people working in uh, New Orleans in the, in the wake of Katrina. But how many people out there, even among our own congregations, are aware well, of what we do? Malaria efforts in Africa. We send out medical missionaries. We we well, it's even more. It's even more than this. There's a book out. I can't now. The I, the name just escaped me. But it's it's a book where it was a longitudinal study about what churches mean in the city of Philadelphia. Huh. And and I'll get that title for you later. Um, but what it said is if the churches all shut down today, the churches and schools, it would be billions of dollars of, humani- of, of humanity, uh, humanitarian aid uh, effort. The city couldn't survive. The city could not survive. And there's this notion that, that the churches don't really provide anything except yeah. uh, you know, preaching on Sunday. Yeah, well, well the, you're tax-free, therefore, yeah. Yeah, but the reality of people donating their time, donating their efforts, being a part of all kinds of efforts going on in the city, sure. some not, that are not even related to the church, but they're motivated by by the church to do that. Yeah. If all that stuff went away, the city of Philadelphia, they argued, would implode. Well, FEMA released a report uh, in the wake of the hurricanes. Very interesting. It said that 80% of all federal relief efforts were channeled through religious organizations. And they continue to be channeled through the sacrificing of people long after that aid oh, is absolutely. gone. Yeah. But that's we, the, but see, the, this is where you, it's a good point. But the, we're just naturally bent not to tout ourselves on this. We're naturally yeah. bent, you know, seeing that that's the difference, I think, between politics and church service ultimately. Church services, I don't want my left hand and right hand to know what I'm doing, 
but I know I should be working <laughs> in <Yeah>. those areas. <laughs> and and again, that's that's how Christ works. That's what finally differentiates even our public engagement. We're not, it's going to be hard to, we're going to tell people what we're doing, but we're not going to toot our horn because there's a sense where we understand God is at work even beyond us, but we're going to do our job. But again, it's one of those things where people finally do say, you mean you're just doing this for because your faith motivates you to do this? And the mm-hmm. answer is yes. And that's when our public engagement is something that is a real blessing to our proclamation of the gospel. And I think part of your role, <clears throat> excuse me, part of your role is when you're talking to these opinion makers and, and, and legislators, is they may not be aware of what it is that we do and just what a benefit we can be to their communities. Now that's good. To, to them, you're right, because that's not tooting our horn so much as that's just saying, hey, yeah. this is what's out there, this is what we're doing, and we're actually doing these things hoping to make your job easier. Mm-hmm. And so we can say that. We need to tell them our, how many churches we have. We need to tell them how many schools we have. We need to tell them how we're involved in the community so that they can understand we're not coming here as, we're not lobbying for anything. We're just telling you we're here to undergird what you're doing. Yeah. And if we see that you're doing something that we don't think is blessing our community, we will have our say, which is, you know, we have to be uh, forthright about that. But we're even doing that as a servant. Uh, and, and that's, I think, what's even shocking to some of the senators and, and congresspeople. They're like, you mean you're not coming here to kind of twist my arm? My thing is, no, I'm coming here just to speak about these things and to let you know that you got a lot of people that are already making your job even easier because they want to. They want their communities to be to be whole. Well, for example, the the LCMS, our congregations, all have disaster plans. Right. We have uh, we have supplies that are cached. We have people who are trained on what to do when the disaster strikes. They're already in sight. Plus, we have our own people here in the Senate who will respond as soon as it happens. I suspect a lot of our lawmakers, a lot of our opinion makers are unaware of this. They are, and and I think that's part of my role, again, too, is to get to know these folks enough to where they can say, oh, you're here trying to find a way to be a blessing to our Mm -hmm. work. And the answer is yes, that that's always how it's been, and again, so if you're not there engaging, well, then they don't know that, and and when you're engaging from afar, they don't take you seriously. Yeah. So we're there, um, but we're also there to educate our own people on on what more can be done uh, as a church in these areas too, yeah. and the fact that it is expected of us to engage with the left hand kingdom. Yeah. You know, we're not there to rule the kingdom; we're there to help them. Right. And again, like I said, we've been given, you know, when Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar, Caesar was kind of a monarchical ruler. He was even a tyrannical ruler. Uh, The unique thing about being in America is they turn the Caesar thing upside down. The citizen is actually supposed to be Caesar. So you really have to exercise your role. So the goal of going even to Washington is to make sure that Caesar gets what Caesar's supposed to get and nothing more, <laughs> so that we can be free people for each other. And that was that's how our founding fathers framed this discussion. So well, that's yeah, what's so unique. The idea that that, you know, that that government does not give rights. Yeah. All and, it can and, do is to is to defend them. And our founding fathers actually didn't believe government solves big problems. They, no. You know, there were fundamental things that government had to do, but that was it. The rest of it was religiously self-disciplined citizens who learned how to solve their own problems in community. They thought that was the better way to have freedom in in, in the world. And you know what? They were right. Mm-hmm. But freedom needs to be exercised by free citizens and religiously motivated free citizens at that. So again, that's our role is to teach our people that that's actually the, the heritage that they've been given in this place. And God is at work through that. So put it to work. You know, I remember um, a couple of years ago, I interviewed a missionary to Indonesia. 
and he was there in the aftermath of the horrible tsunami that they had back, I think it was 2010, I don't recall the exact date. Mm-hmm. And after the storm was over and after the relief efforts went on, he said uh, a group of Muslim leaders came to him and asked him, why are you helping our people? We're not Christian. Right. And the response is, we are. That's why we're helping. See, that's the thing. And, and I guess that's our two-kingdom engagement purpose, too. Why are you here? Well, we're not here. We're here to protect the public space. We do see government encru- uh, encroaching on our, on, on our work. We get that. But even when we finally push back on that, that was not the reason we engage this. We're engaging this for the sake of the culture. We're trying to make these arguments so that everybody goes, yeah, that's a good argument for us all. And so you're exactly right. That motivating faith. Our founding fathers understood that that was the only thing that would keep this kind of freedom alive. One advantage that we had, and I think we can we can place us squarely at the at the foot of the uh, at the feet of the early settlers who were largely mm-hmm. religious refugees, was literacy. <laughs> they had to be literate to read the Bible. Well, and we had a literacy rate around the time of the revolution that, that Europe couldn't imagine. Well, and the thing about education, you, we don't want to get off on this yet, but we should have maybe a program on education. The parochial push is for everyone to be educated and yeah. literate. That is, when you start to talk about the issues of public schooling today and the real problems there, you, you got to get back to why is it important to be literate? Why is it important to read? Well, if, to the glory of God and to the service of neighbor, uh, that's the church's view of education, fundamentally, foundationally. Well, once it's just to get a job or whatever i mean so again even the issues of education once they lose their roots you can even understand why people don't care about literacy and and education the way they they should before so it's another discussion yeah well dr seltzer running uh, out of time uh, can i say one more thing absolutely that's what i was gonna say that's why i'm telling you that. well we've got this thing called a word from the center and i'd love for people to engage that you can go to our website lcrlfreedom.org but on there you can sign up we have a a a weekly it's a devotional and a weekly uh, reflection the, the Monday devotional is called Word from the Center, the Center of Our Faith, Jesus. It's just a devotion from the Gospels to bless you. On Friday, it's Word from the Center, the LCRL, a, a two-kingdom reflection on what's going on in the world. We'd love for you to just follow those things and start to get to know us a little better because we're there in D.C. for you. And that website again? LCRLfreedom.org. You've been listening to Free to Be Faithful, a presentation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, as a religious liberty education and awareness program. Free to Be Faithful airs the third Monday of every month. Today's guest was the Reverend Dr. Gregory Siltz, Executive Director of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty. I'm your moderator, Kip Allen, wishing you God's blessings. You've been listening to Free to Be Faithful, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for listening and supporting Free to Be Faithful on Worldwide KFUO.